How is everybody? Everyone good? Good? All right? Good. Glad you guys are here. After last week, it's, it's just good that we still have a church intact, so that's, uh, chapter 13's tough. Um, so we're in the book of Romans. Um, we have been in this for, for quite some time, and uh, we're getting close to the end. Only got a couple more chapters to go after this one. If you weren't here last week, so if you haven't been here at all, the book of Romans is a letter written from a guy named Paul to a church in Rome. Very diverse group of people. It was in the first century. We'll get actually get into that a little bit today about the diversity and kind of the different cultures that were there. But in chapter 13, Paul starts to reach a, uh, a very sensitive and very difficult topic for us. Not the fact that he's talking about honor, respect, and loving other people, but in chapter 13, it's the fact that he talks about honor in respecting governing authorities, authority over us. We often talk about loving people, respecting, and honoring, and we're like, yes, 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 and then you start talking about the government, and you're like, okay, that's a little bit more challenging, right? So that's what we talked about last week, and a very, very difficult chapter, not to understand, but to apply in our lives. And so in chapter 13, and it's not just governmental authority, it's talking about the authority, if you're a teacher, your principal, if you're a, a child, your parents, if you're just an employee, your employer, that we are to respect people in any kind of level of authority above us. So anyways, so chapter 13 is kind of that vertical relationship, how we relate to people that, that may be over us in whatever aspect they are over us. Chapter 14 is gonna be more of a horizontal, how we, how we communicate, how we respect, kind of more on a peer level. And here's gonna be the challenging thing about chapter 14. Again, not an overtly complicated chapter. It's not hard to understand, but it is hard in practice because of this. Paul is going to challenge us that, that, that there will be times as Christians where we will lay down our privileges and freedoms for the sake of other people. In America, we don't like talk of laying down our privileges and freedoms, and so, but Paul says that as Christians, there are times that we may be allowed to do something, but it's not beneficial to do something. So we relent, right? We lay down that stuff for the sake of God's kingdom. That's what we're gonna get into a little bit today. So anyways, did I tell you guys what, we're, what book we're gonna do next? Have we talked about that? No? I'm gonna take your silence as a no. Uh, the book of Nehemiah, that's what we're gonna do next. Well, there's three people that knew that was in the Bible. It's, it's, it's in the Old Testament. It's a really good book of the Bible. I wanted to do it a couple of years ago, and I'll, I'll tell you why. <laughs> I shouldn't talk about this. I'll tell you why I didn't do it. Um, Donald Trump was still in office, and it's a whole book of the Bible about building a wall. And I'm like, <laughs> maybe not the smartest time to do this. Let's, I'm going to wait a little bit. We'll see how things unfold. And then I'll, I'll so it, it's time now. It's not an awkward, sensitive subject now. So we can, I can teach a whole book on building a wall. So it's a great book of the Bible. I think you guys will enjoy it. And um, anyways, let, let me move on. I'm already digging a hole. We haven't even gotten started. So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything I'm gonna talk about is in there. Everything will be on the screens. If you have a, a Bible, we're in the New Testament. We're in the sixth book of the New Testament, book of Romans, chapter 14. If you have the Experience Community app on your phone, um, we should be ready to go, should be in good shape, okay? So let me pray, we'll dive into this. I think you guys will like this chapter. It's interesting, especially in light of our current culture. It's very, very interesting, okay? Let me pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much that we have the, uh, the freedom to do what we're doing right now. 
We thank you, Lord, for not only the freedom to, to talk about your word, we thank you for air conditioning and padded seats and, God, the microphones and, and PA systems. Lord, we're, we're very blessed and we're very fortunate. We thank you for that. God, I pray that your word just speaks to us today, Lord. I pray that we can come in here, God, vulnerable and objective and that we can just hear your word and process it the way you want us to, to process it, God. We, so we pray for our church. We pray for all of our campuses. We pray for all of the, the different areas where our churches are located, God, and all the churches in those areas. Lord, we thank you for Greenhouse Ministries, and I thank you for a benevolent church that, that gives to organizations like that. Pray that they're blessed. And Father, ultimately, we pray that everything we do today, that it honors you, that it lifts you up, God, and that it draws us closer to you. So Lord, we pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 14, I'm gonna read a little bit. I'll go back and we'll dissect it, and we'll see what God says to us, okay? This is Paul speaking, all right? Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. Let me pause there for a second. I didn't tell you a funny story, so here we go. So a couple of months ago, I was speaking in Shelbyville, and, and I've been a vegetarian for, for a, a little bit now, for health reasons. And so, someone else over here is also a vegetarian. So... Um, I was in Shelbyville and somehow it came up and I'm teaching and I said, yeah, you know, I don't eat meat. And you would have thought that I just confessed to worshiping the devil. People were like, <gasps> and I said, no, 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 it's, it's just for health reasons. And someone goes, I'd rather be dead. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, I'd rather not be dead. So, but even the Bible, for us vegetarians, even the Bible says we're the weaker ones. So there it is. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat must not judge the one who does because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. What in the heck is Paul talking about? So, the church in Rome was very, very diverse, just like this church is very diverse. Just like in any bigger city, you're gonna have a very big diversity, not just of color and nationality, but of cultural backgrounds. The two big competing cultures, competing is maybe the wrong word, but, but it caused a lot of tension, were the Jewish Christians and then the Roman or Greek Christians. Very different cultural backgrounds. And what was happening is these different cultural backgrounds in Rome were fighting about things that Paul is gonna say they're not worth fighting about. They're not heaven and hell issues. You don't need to fight about them. Now, we still do this today, and that'll be my next slide. But we as Christians, it is important for us to know what is a major issue, which means heaven or hell, right? It's, gonna, it's, gonna, it's an eternal question. And what are minor issues? Basically, things that we can agree to disagree on. We'll get to this more. So again, we still today in the United States fall into this. And Paul says, do not argue about things that are disputable. Don't get hung up on minor issues. And the two big minor issues that they would fight about in Rome were what kinds of food you could eat, right? Can you eat pork? Can you eat shellfish? Can you go to the market and buy meat that was sacrificed to pagan gods? Can you eat certain things? Then the other thing they would argue about is what day of the week are you allowed to worship on, right? So the Jews held very tightly to the laws of the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't written yet, 
right? So they held on to the, to the laws, the diuretical laws of the Old Testament. Certain things you couldn't eat, certain things you could eat, certain days of the week that you had to worship, certain we, days of the week that you didn't worship, right? In a, in a congregation like this. To the non-Jewish Christians, they didn't give a rip, right? It was not their history. It was not their culture. They didn't care what day of the week you worshiped on. They didn't care what you ate. We're going to find out in a, in a minute. Neither did Paul. But anyways, so they were having these arguments and these debates. Now, again, we do this still today in the United States and Christianity. We argue over things that are not essential things, but we make them these big debates. For instance, one of them is uh, like drinking alcohol. I hope I don't ruin anyone's paradigm in here, but nowhere in the Bible does it say it's a sin to drink alcohol. It's a sin to get drunk, but it's not a sin to, to have a beer while you're watching a football game or drink a glass of wine with your wife when you're on a date. Nothing wrong with that. Another thing that we often argue about is even in the United States, we argue about what day of the week can you worship? When we launched Saturday services, there were a bunch of people who were like, well, that's just not right. You can't be saved and worship on Saturday. I told all the Saturday people that you guys thought that. That's what I told them last night. <laughs> and then you, have, <laughs> then you have a bunch of people that, that worship on Saturday, and, and there's even a, a group of people called the Seventh-day Adventists, right, who, who are Sabbatinarians, or Sabbat, Sabbatarianism is what it's called. I botched that who believe you have to only worship on Saturday and that it's wrong to worship on Sunday. That's what all those Saturday night people think about you. So anyways, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But these are, these are non-issues. These are minor things. And what Paul is trying to say in this chapter is arguing over minor things not only slows down the progression of the gospel, it divides the church. So Paul said, focus on Jesus, focus on the word of God, focus on the mission that Jesus has for you. That's what we need to be focused on. And of course, the game changer is Jesus, right? The whole reason why Jesus came, Paul talks about this a lot, is all of these laws that are in the Old Testament, it was impossible for the Jewish people to hold all those, to maintain all those. So the whole reason Jesus came is not because the law was bad, we were bad. So no longer were we to be made good based on what we do. Now we are made good based on what Jesus has done and by his grace. That's why he came. Now what's interesting in church nowadays, people get real offended by that when I say things like you're, in, you're inherently bad. You're, you're bad without God. The Bible says that many times, right? You're evil without God. And people get really offended by that. Wait a second. Because the world constantly tells you that you're good. You're born good, your thoughts are good, whatever you wanna do is good, you're good, you're all right. Follow your heart, Disney tells you, right? It's you're good. And the Bible tells you the exact opposite of that. And listen, it is not bad news to hear from the Bible that you're not good. The reason that is liberating and the reason there is freedom in that is when I understand that there is nothing good in me apart from Jesus, it takes all the pressure off me to be perfect and it puts all the pressure on Jesus who is already perfect. And I just live in that. I know that I'm nothing without him. That just makes me lean on him. And that takes all the pressure off us. That is liberating. It is freedom to understand that he's good and we're not. So here's the thing. Let's go back to majors and minors. If we are to know what are the majors and minors in the Bible, we, we have to read the Bible. We have to read the Bible and we have to pray for God's wisdom. And so by spending time in prayer and spending time in the scripture, 
We know what is very, very important to God and what is less important to God. And this helps us to not divide the body. We have so many churches that say, well, you can't have that kind of worship, so we're gonna split up, or, or you have to dress a certain way, so we're gonna split up. And these are dumb things to fight about. And most divisions amongst denominations and churches are over things that really aren't that big of a deal. And if we would get back to the word, we would get back to what is important to God, and we would just be a healthier body. So Paul says this. Now, now we're gonna bring it real personal, okay? We're gonna bring it in a little bit. Paul says, accept anyone who is weak in faith. So what this means, there are some things that are not heaven and hell issues for everyone, but there is personal conviction that God gives us as individuals because maybe there are things that we are weak in. Let me give you an example. It is not a sin to drink alcohol, okay? The Bible does not say that at all. In fact, Paul tells Timothy, drink some wine every once in a while for your stomach issues, right? It is not a sin to drink alcohol. God has told me, Corey Trimble, not to drink alcohol. I have a history of addiction. I went to rehab for addiction. It is not wise for me to drink alcohol. So God has personally convicted me that I am to not do that. Now that's just me. There may be certain music or movies that I am not convicted about, but you are convicted about. There may be certain places you go or different styles of clothing that may trigger you to go someplace bad in your mind. Now, what Paul is telling us to do is our personal convictions are for us, but we are to be sensitive to other people's personal convictions. So if you're at my house and, and a certain movie triggers you and, and causes you to go bad places, I should respect that and turn the movie off. If me drinking alcohol, which I don't, but if I drink alcohol and you struggle with alcoholism and you're sitting next to me in a restaurant, I should just decide not to have a glass of wine that night out of respect for your convictions and what you're struggling with. That's what Paul is talking about here. And the reason he says this is because we have all been weak in some way. And so he says, don't judge someone else based on their conviction. Listen, I don't listen to much, much Christian music. I just don't like it stylistically. I like worshiping in here, but, but like when I'm driving around in my car, it's like, the replacements or the Ramones or it's something that's, that's not Christian, right? And not that I think it's horrible. There's one replacements fan somewhere in this audience, I'm sure. Anyways, so I do not feel conviction about listening to the Ramones or listening to The Cure or David Bowie. That doesn't do anything to me. For some of you, it may greatly convict you, and that's fine. But what Paul's saying is you don't judge me based on my conviction, and I'm not gonna judge you based on your conviction because we are gonna be held accountable as individuals to God. So if I'm doing something that, that does, does not align with the scripture, I'm gonna be held accountable that. So our convictions are our convictions. They're between us and God. Now, there are things that are overarching, right? Like, well, I don't feel, con I don't feel convicted about getting drunk and wasted and cheating on my wife. Well, that's a universal, it's wrong for everybody thing. We're talking about personal things, right? Personal convictions from God. So let's move into that. Let's go a little bit deeper. One person, one person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it to the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats for the Lord, um, I'm sorry, whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat 
and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he may be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother and sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, this is important, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So when Paul says, let us be fully convinced, that doesn't mean that we can just make up our own rules. That's not what he means. So we are gonna move from arguing about what you can eat to arguing about what day of the week we are supposed to worship. Now again, Paul says it's not that we can just do things however we wanna do them, whenever we wanna do them. Paul is saying we should be asking ourselves and we should be convinced, this is important, that everything we do is for the glory of God. Here's what the Bible does. The Bible goes deeper than just what you do. And the Bible asks, why do you do it? Let me give you an example. So if a 20-year-old walks up to me and says, on my 21st birthday, I wanna go out drinking with all my friends, is that a sin? Well, technically, it's not a sin for you to go out and drink. You'll be legal as long as you don't get drunk. But here's my thing. I wanna ask them, why do you wanna do that? What is the heart behind you wanting to go out and drink on your 21st birthday? Does it glorify God? I got nothing wrong with tattoos. Obviously, I have tattoos. But when people ask me, is it wrong to get tattoos? The Bible does not say it's wrong to get tattoos. Leviticus 19, again, that goes back to a law that we don't follow anymore. But anyways, when people say, is it wrong to get a tattoo? I say, no, it's not, it's not wrong. But why are you doing it? What is the heart? Is it because you're just insecure? That's a bad reason to get a tattoo, right? It's there forever. And so when, you, when we talk about these things, it's getting to the heart of the matter. Paul says it like this. Whether you eat or don't, right? Whether you drink or don't, do all things for the glory of God. It is why we do what we do. Sometimes the why is more important than the what. Why do we do what we do? Because Paul says, if we live, we live for the Lord. Now, try to, try to keep your brains and your ears right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow your minds here. If we claim to follow Christ, right? If we call ourselves Christians, we are saying to the world around us that at the end of the day, we do what our master does. We walk in the footsteps of the one that we claim to be following. The problem is, is that so many people, right, do what they want to do. And they say, well, I wanna do this. And I say, but the scripture says this, but, but, but I wanna do this. Then that makes you not a follower of Jesus. We're to follow Jesus regardless of our understanding, regardless of our feelings on the matter. Why is this important? It's important because everyone in this room that claims to follow Jesus, everyone watching online, everyone in the world that claims to follow Jesus must understand that one day we will stand in front of Jesus the Savior and Jesus the Judge and we will have to give an account of how we've lived. We will have to answer for the decisions that we've made. Every single person that you know will, will have to stand in front of Jesus and answer for the life that they've lived. Our problem is this. Okay, these next two slides are vitally important. What is our problem? Talking about our culture today, our biggest problem today is self. 
We live in a country right now, the God of the United States is not Allah, it's not Krishna, it's not Jesus. The God of the United States right now is the individual, it is self, that is our God. Yes, we are one nation under God, it's just not the capital G, it's the lowercase g, and it's you. That's the culture we live in right now. Even in Christianity today, we have adopted this culture, which is very antithetical to the teachings of that book. What I mean is, is we think that everything is about us to serve us for our happiness and for our goodmen, right? And so even with church, we come into church and we wanna hear something really fluffy and we want you to make me feel good and I don't go over an hour or I'm out of here, right? And it's very much the self-serving environment. And what has happened with that, not just in the world's culture, but in church culture, we have become myopic, which means you can only see things right in front of your face. We live in a culture right now because we're so selfish, we are not thinking long-term effects. We're thinking what I want right now. So we are, we're in a culture right now that we're more concerned about getting that check for a couple of thousand dollars than thinking about the repercussions of a society that no longer wants to earn a check. So when we go into a restaurant and it's dirty as junk and you can't get your food for 45 minutes and we go, what has happened? We took a quick buyout and sacrificed integrity and things being done well. Does anyone else go out in the world besides me anymore? Am I the only one? But see, what I'm talking about is we do the same thing in church. Make me feel good right now. Don't tell me that I have cancer, sin. Don't tell me that there's anything wrong with me. Make me feel good. And then we wonder why so many Christians end up divorced or broke or drowning in, in depression and hopelessness because we just want the quick feeling right now, not thinking about the future because it's all about how I feel. You guys with me this morning? We have this God and it is self, and we are, we, are, we, are not, we are not learning, right, that there is a greater punishment if we, don't, if we don't address the problem now. On the flip side of that, we sacrifice an eternity for a, a, a momentary blip of pleasure. We sacrifice our integrity, right? Not thinking that God has a perfect place for us forever if we will just do the right thing now. So here, 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 look at these next two slides. So our problem right now is rooted in selfishness and it manifests itself right now in envy. Paul says, why do you despise the people around you? Why do you hate the people around you? The reason we hate the people around us is because we are selfish. Here's what is going on in our culture right now and it's very not Jesus. In our culture right now, not only do we want what other people have, but we don't want to work for it. So what we do is we see someone that's more intelligent than us. We know they're smarter than us. They have a PhD because they've dedicated the last 10 years of their life to study. But instead of us working hard to get to that level of intelligence, we tear that person down and bring them down to our level. Because we're jealous of them, they're envious of them. We do it with the rich all the time, don't we? the evil, awful, terrible rich. And we tear them down because honestly, it is rooted in envy and jealousy. They have something that I don't have. I don't wanna work for what they have. I don't wanna take the risk that they took. So I'm gonna tear them down and bring them down to my level. What this is, is this is a breaking of the 10th commandment 
where we are envious of other people. Let me tell you this, what other people have, whether it be intellect, success, money, fame, fortune, good looks, whatever the case may be, how they wield that and what they do with it is between them and God, and it's none of our business. And it is not Christ-like for us to look at other people, flip, it's straight from the, from, from the Ten Commandments. It is wrong for us to look at that and to want that and want to tear other people down to get something that they have. If someone else is worth millions of dollars, praise God, I hope you bless people with that millions. If someone else is super successful, praise God, I hope you use that success to move people in the right direction. If someone is super attractive, praise God. I don't know what you can do to glorify God with that. Maybe just talk to people, right? Everyone wants to talk to you because you're pretty. Maybe if you're blessed with super good looks, why don't you model something called modesty, right? Maybe that'd be a blessing for the kingdom of God. Anyways, whatever it is, we don't need to be in the practice of tearing people down. Either work your butt off and get to that level or just thank God that God is blessing them in that way and hope that they do something good with it. Here's the thing, though we should not be self-centered, we should be introspective at times. What that means is I should take my life I should run it up against this book and make sure that it is in alignment. Because Christians should not be in the habit of shifting blame or responsibility. Listen, guys, my decisions are my decisions. Let's go back to when that, that day comes when all of us will stand in front of Jesus Christ. When you stand in front of Jesus Christ, you're not gonna be able to blame your parents. You're not gonna be able to blame me. You know what's gonna happen if we try to do that? We're gonna stand in front of Jesus and go, oh, but you don't know how bad my dad was. And Jesus is gonna say, you had access to my Holy Spirit that makes you more, of an, more than an overcomer regardless of any situation. But you don't know how bad my pastor hurt my feelings. I gave you access to my Holy Spirit that gave you the power to become more than an overcomer in any situation. Well, but you don't know how bad our president was. You don't know how little money I made. You don't know this and this and this. Hey, Jesus does know it all but he has given us all the tools to be more than overcomers regardless of the situation. There will be no blame shifting when we stand in front of Jesus Christ and have to give an account. So what do we do? We lean on God, we stay humble, we admit when we make mistakes and we work hard towards righteousness. That's what we do, okay? All right, next part. Thank you. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, for them it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Remember that. Do not destroy by what you eat. Uh, do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. This goes back to something I said earlier that we are to never put a stumbling block in the way of other people. Now, I'll tell you what makes this hard, is though you may have the right, let's go back to the alcohol thing. Uh, the people that work at this church, we, I do not care if people who work at this church drink alcohol, we, we don't care. 
I do care if they do it in public. In fact, if you work here, we are not allowed to drink alcohol in public. It's not because we're trying to hide it. I just told you that we're okay with it. The problem is, is if we are out there, we have a huge Celebrate Recovery ministry. There's a lot of people at this church who are either working through addiction or who have just beat addiction. And I don't want them to look over at my wife and I if I'm having a beer and say, oh, pastor does it. And it becomes a stumbling block for them. What that means is this. We have to put the well-being of other people above ours, even if we have the freedom to do something. Do you know the number one phrase that I got really, really sick of in 2020? It's my right. I was so sick of it. I was so over it. I know it's your right. I know, I'm gonna show you something here in a second. Paul was a mature Christian that was persuaded that minor things were minor things and they just needed to be gone, right? We don't need to fight over those things. And we need to be sensitive to what other people may struggle with. So yes, you may have the right to do whatever it is, but Paul would say, though you have the right, everything is permissible, is it beneficial? Does it benefit the kingdom of God? Well, I don't have to do it, I have the right. Paul would say, yes, I understand you have the right. Is that right building people up around you? Well, I have a First Amendment right to do this. You do, you do, you have a First Amendment right to do that. It is, it is permissible, but is it benefiting the movement? Is it building up the body of God? This is difficult, guys. This means at times we may have to lay down privileges for the sake of the greater good. And people with a mature faith understand this. They understand that there are times when we will have to lay down things that we are allowed to do, but we don't do them for the sake of the greater good. Now, that sounds crazy, but it's exactly what Jesus did. I'm not gonna lay down my rights. Okay, let's walk back a little bit. If Jesus had the same attitude that you have right now, you wouldn't be saved because Jesus Christ laid down his rights and liberties as the king of the universe to come down to earth, be unlawfully arrested by people he created, beaten and spat upon and lied about by said, same said people, to be nailed to a hunk of wood that he also created and to bleed and die for your sins. At any time, Jesus could have snapped his finger, all heaven could have came down and wiped everyone out. He had the right, but he laid down the right for your good and he laid down the right for my good. And I, I know people get mad when I quote the Bible in church, but this is what Paul says. When it, <laughs> man, that's, that's, that's fourth service sarcasm right there. That's, that's, that's just, it's fatigue. When a Christian insists on their rights to the detriment of another person, they're no longer acting in love. Let that sink in for a second. Let it sink in in light of 2020. I have the right. Well, maybe that person right there has cancer and it's pretty important if you cover your mouth. Sorry, let's keep going. All right, sorry. So we live, we live in a culture that thinks freedom is whatever we want to do all the time. That's how we define freedom. I find it ironic that in a culture that says, do whatever you want, right? Do whatever you want. That is freedom. Is the same culture that is bound by porn addiction, drug addiction, affirmation addiction, otherwise called social media, we're addicted to our wealth, we're addicted to materialism, we're addicted to everything. We have become enslaved by the very things that we keep proclaiming give us freedom. Be free, and we are more shackled than we've ever been, ever been. 
There's a small town somewhere in Montana, I can't remember the name of it, I should have looked it up in between services. I watched a documentary on, in Montana, it's two or four square miles, I can't remember what it is, and it's a town where there is absolutely no law, no law enforcement, there's no nothing, no taxes, anything. It's just completely open, right? And, and everyone is, who, who interviews the people that live there, they're like, we're free. We're the freest people in the country. Freedom, 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 freedom. And then you find out that 70% of the town is addicted to meth. Tell me about freedom again. Tell me about how free you are. See, here's the thing about freedom. True freedom is not getting whatever you want all the time. True freedom is knowing that you're not going to get everything you want all the time, but still being content because you have Jesus. That is freedom. Freedom, listen, true freedom is that you can take everything from me, throw me in prison like they did Paul, and I can still sing and have freedom in him and know that I'm going to some place for eternity to be with the creator of the universe. That is freedom. Throw me in jail, I still have more freedom than you'll ever have if I have Christ, right? That's what Paul is getting at. And here's the thing, we were meant for more than just pleasure. Paul says the kingdom of God is not just eating and drinking. If the Bible was written in our day and age, Paul would have said the kingdom of God is not getting high, getting drunk, having sex with your girlfriend and partying all the time. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not something fleeting, it's not something that has a hangover. It's not something that has the guilt and shame attached to it. The kingdom of God is righteousness. It is peace. It is joy. And those things are not found in the material possessions we have. That joy is found in the fact that we have God. It's deeper than what the world sells you. It is much deeper. This means that our purpose is not found in the neighborhood we live in. It is found in our identity in Jesus. And what we as Christians need to be is we need to be sacrificial enough to, to, to lay stuff down so other people can experience the same kind of freedom that we have experienced, okay? Last part, and we'll go through it quick. So then let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts and stands, uh, whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because he is not eating from faith and everything that is not from faith is from sin." So let's be honest here for a second. Paul says, let us, Christians, hey Christians, let us do everything to pursue what promotes peace and what builds each other up. If you are being super honest with yourself, do your Facebook posts pr promote peace and the building up of other people? Does our conversations promote peace and the building up of other people? Do we pursue this? We are to promote peace and the building up of other people. What it boils down to is respect for other people. So here's the thing. Paul says that we are to keep our personal convictions between us and God. That this is another affirmation that we are to stick to the major issues, right? And that we are to respect each other's personal convictions. 
that if you feel convicted about something, I wanna respect that. I don't wanna be a stumbling block to that. I wanna honor that. That's between you and God. But I wanna make sure that I'm not a stumbling block. So what it boils down to is, do we have a personal relationship with Jesus where we are being convicted and directed by God? And do we love people enough to honor where they are in their walk with God? Respect for others and love for God. Do we do it? And then Paul says, everything that is not from faith is sin. Let's go back to this drinking thing that I keep talking with me personally. Even though by scripture, I can drink alcohol and it's not an overarching sin for everyone, right? Even though it is not a sin to drink alcohol, if God has told me not to drink alcohol and I push through it and do it, disobedience to Jesus is a sin. So though drinking is not an overarching sin for everyone, it is for me because God told me, Corey, not to do it. So if God convicts us about something and we push through anyways because we say, I have the right, you have lived in disobedience, not in faith, therefore you are living in sin. Now Paul is referring to non-essential things, like drinking, but it applies to the essential things as well. Jesus said, if you do not do my commandments, well, I'm, he said it this way, he said it the opposite. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. The same thing can be said, if we do not keep the commands of Jesus, Jesus would say, you must not love me. That goes for the biblical salvation issues. Listen, let's, let's just get real personal. It also goes if you're watching that show on Netflix and God says, you shouldn't be watching that. And you're like, but everyone else is watching it. You felt that conviction, just turn it off. Watch something else, right? So three things we need to talk about today before I let you go. If we are going to feel conviction, right? And if we're going to honor the convictions of others, we need to learn to listen to God. I hope everyone is listening right now. The Bible says that God speaks in a still, small voice. Do you know the only way to hear a still, small voice? You gotta be quiet. This is something that our culture hates. We hate it. We can't be alone. Next time you go to a coffee shop and two people are sitting there talking, watch what happens when one of them goes to the bathroom. We're in our car by ourselves, driving with our knee, right? Listening to the radio on the phone. We have to have seven things going at one time. Constantly bombarded, right? We have all these distractions, all these voices. And David, who wrote the book of Psalms said, you need to be still and know who God is, right? And know that he's God. So what we have to do if we're gonna hear the voice of God, right? I've never heard his audible voice, but I've heard God speak to me a billion times. You have to cut out all the distractions. You have to pray, shocking. You have to pray, ask for the Holy Spirit, and then we just need to be still and quiet and listen. So many times people say, well, I can't hear the Lord. And I'm like, I couldn't hear him either if I had my AirPod in, I'm Instagramming, I'm watching TV and talking to someone at the same time, I wouldn't be able to hear him either. A really brilliant philosopher said one time, it's hard to listen while we preach. It was Bono, it was you too. But anyways, <laughs> I think he's a great philosopher. 
So we need to learn how to decipher the voice of God. I'll tell you this, this is another way to hear the voice of God. A lot of people say, well, I don't think God's ever spoken to me. Well, he did, it's called a Bible. Uh, the problem is, is we don't read it. 5% of Christians read the Bible once a month. And it's a wonder why there's so much bad theology in churches. It's a wonder why we keep going down the same wrong turns. No one is reading this. This is, it's crazy. It's called the word of God. I don't know if God speaks to us anymore. The word of God. This is the mind of God on paper. And if we would read that, you would know what God is saying to us. The bottom line is this. It's only through a relationship with God that we get direction. I don't know which way to go. Pray and read the word. You'll know. Even Jesus said to his disciples when they said, we don't know what to say. He said, lean on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. It'll tell you what to do. It'll make you feel conviction, right? That's a good thing. But we have to learn to listen to God. That's number one. Now, once we listen to God, once we have a relationship with God, we will learn to pick our battles more wisely. Christians fight about a lot of stupid stuff and they need to stop because it's not good for the kingdom. It's not good for the world around us. We need to learn to pick our battles more wisely. Don't get into fights on Facebook. I've never had anyone come up to me and be like, man, you know, I was gonna vote this way, but my friend was being a real jerk online and I'm gonna switch the way I vote. <laughs> I've never heard that. Never heard an argument be won over there, right? Pick your battles wisely. But here's the thing, it is also by God's spirit that we do not let the minor things bother us. That we do not get hung up on the non-essentials. Look at this, I was really proud when I wrote this. Every once in a while I write something and I'm like, it's good, Corey, good for you. <laughs> it is also by God's spirit that we are able to not sweat the non-essentials. And in this wisdom, you should be praying for that every single day, here's what happens. We become internally peaceful what that means is this, I'm confident in who I am in Jesus. Not arrogant, hold on, not arrogant because I'm a very insecure person by nature. But when I have a relationship with God, when I understand who I am in God, that my value comes from God and I don't have to impress any of you. That my value doesn't come from you. And when I have that internal piece of who I am, that internal peace, here it comes, here, here it comes. That internal peace makes me more externally gracious. Because if someone comes at me, right? And if I know who I am in Jesus, I know it's not me. They have something that they are lacking and they are just, they're just projecting it onto me. So I show them grace. Just like when Jesus was on a cross and said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. That internal peace of being one with the Father made Jesus externally gracious to those who were even trying to harm him. Don't sweat the small stuff. Find that internal peace and show external grace on those around you. Here's the last thing. Because we have been liberated by the life death, resurrection, and teachings of Jesus. If you call yourself a Christian in this room, we are to model what Jesus has done for us. So the first time the, the, the term Christian was ever used was in Antioch. Not that Antioch, in Antioch way over on the other side of the earth. The first time the word Christian was ever used was in Antioch. 
And the term Christian was derogatory. They meant, they, they would say, those are those little Jesuses, those little Christs. And the Christians heard that and they're like, we kind of like that, right? That's what we're trying to be. We're trying to live and model Jesus, right? Not that we will ever be little Jesuses, but we are trying to be in his image, right? To live like he wants us to live. And if we claim to be Christians, little Jesuses, right? We are to walk in humility like Jesus walked in humility. We are to walk in servitude the way Jesus walked in servitude. We are to walk in grace the way Jesus walked in grace. And as hard as that is, that means at times we may lay down freedoms, but I can do it. You can, technically you can, but God may be asking you to relent that freedom for the greater good of the kingdom of God, for the greater good of what he's doing, right? I wanna leave you with one last thought and then we'll, we'll, we'll get out of here. The true Christian life, the true Christian life is a constant evolution towards humility. Let that sink in just for a second. As a Christian, as a Christian, you and I should be growing more and more humble as we get closer and closer to Jesus. Humility, an evolution of humility. Arrogance and the Christian, should, they, they, they don't blend. It's like oil and water. They're not compatible. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we should be humble. It is an evolution of humility. The second thing, the true Christian life is a conformity into the image of Jesus which means the closer we get to him, we talk like him. We look at people the way he looks at them. We think like him. We respond to adversity like him. We focus on the major issues. I love how Jesus took all of the thousands of laws from the Old Testament and he said, it can all be summed up in love God and love your neighbor, right? Those are the majors. If you would just love God and love people, all the small stuff would dissipate. The true Christian life is an evolution of humility and a conformity into the image of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, if you are in this room and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Greg is up here. Listen, if you're new to this church and you're not a believer, we are not afraid of questions. We're not afraid of people saying, well, you know, I'm trying, but I just can't get over this hump. Or We're not afraid of any of that. Please come up here and talk to Pastor Greg. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage that would like to pray with you about anything. It can be about you. If you've flubbed up and made a sin and, 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 and done something sinful and you wanna tell someone about it and have them pray with you, we can do that. If it's your finances or your health or your family or anything, please let us pray for you. And then the last thing is this. There's communion all the way around this room, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, we have the bread and the wine. I wanna welcome all of you who want, if you've repented of your sins, ask Jesus to forgive you, you can get that. And today, if you don't mind taking it and getting back to your seat, Pastor Mike is gonna come up here and lead you in communion, okay? I wanna pray for you, though, before you leave. Father, God, as we go back out into a world that is very broken, very selfish, I pray, God, that, that we can go be the light that you want us to be. I pray, Lord, that we be humble people, humble, 
that we don't get caught up in the snare of, of foolish arguments, as the Bible would say, vain babblings, God. I pray that we don't get caught up in that. I pray that we can keep your mission and your vision at the, at the forefront of our minds, that we can go out and love people and love you, God, that we can honor others and respect others, Father. Lord, we love you. I pray that you protect every man and woman in this room. I pray that you give us wisdom, God, as we go back out into our lives. And I pray that you uh, keep us safe until we meet each other again. We love you. We thank you and we praise you, God. And we pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. I hope you have a great weekend. See ya.